This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. Good morning. I am Lee Shervanian on this April 11th and looking forward to another three hours with you, our listening audience. Nick's in the house. Good morning, Nick. How are you today? I'm good. All I'm excited, excited about the, the NBA play-in. NBA playing games tonight? Yes, sir. We got T-Wolves. We've got Lakers. T-Wolves will not have Rudy Gobert. We'll get to that in this segment. And the Atlanta Hawks. And they will be on the road against Miami. Our special guest today, special guest host, it's been a while, but he's back, Mr. Joe Godfrey. Joe, good morning. Uh, good morning, Lee. I was retired. Well, I brought you out of retirement. <laughs> That's right. You did retire. I the did. last time we had you on the show, you officially retired, but we brought you back. I said I'd come back. If you have a Diet Coke ready for me, I'd come back. And how many do I have for you? You have two. Two. So that means we you owe another visit. You another a visit you owe me then, right? That's right. All right. Uh, a re- one of the major reasons, well, just because I like his company, Joe's really big into the NBA, of course, college basketball and football. And we're going to be talking at 620 about a very important football topic in this state. But I'm going to put that as a tease right now. But there's a major event coming up in May, and Joe, I'm going to hand you the ball on that to talk about it, and our very special guest coming up at 6.30. Well, we got John Harbaugh, the head football coach at the Ravens, and uh, he's agreed to, you know, come on the show today. But, you know, Mike, my brother, runs Team Focus. Maybe a lot of people are aware of that. This is Boys Without Fathers, and it's over 20 years they've been doing this. And every year, Nick Saban comes as a speaker, but this year he's uh, was, could, they couldn't find a date to work out. So uh, Mike asked John, and uh, John said he will come. So the, the event, let me get this correctly. It's May 16th. It's May 16th, and it's 530 at the Mobile Convention Center. And John Harbaugh is going to be the featured speaker. And John is a relative. John's our cousin. So we're really excited to have him come into Mobile. And it just so happens that this week has been very newsworthy with the Baltimore Ravens. Of course, you got the Lamar Jackson drama going on, but then they signed Odell Beckham just a day before Beckham was supposed to meet with the Jets. And according to reports, Joe, uh, Lamar Jackson recruited Beckham, and they went out and celebrated. <laughs> well, that means he's coming back as a quarterback then, right? Yeah, and I'm sure John hasn't been asked a lot, uh, let's see, at least in the last 20 minutes. I mean, he's probably getting inundated with questions. I hope he's okay with us bringing that up. You know, and if the, if the both of them stay healthy, it's, and they've never had a, would you, I heard on a radio yesterday. Three of the last four years, they have not had a wide receiver go over 1,000 yards. They've never been, I think, there's never been, been a wide receiver in the Pro Bowl. Something to that effect. Well, I'm sure they have in the past. I mean, I thought I heard that on the. On a, I thought it maybe not on your show. It was on another show. I didn't know but, you listened to other shows. Well, after you do, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm up only at, teasing. Joe. I'm up at three o'clock sometimes in the morning, so I listen to the radio. I don't know how you do it. I fall asleep around nine o'clock. You said you didn't go to sleep till one thirty. One thirty. What do you do? You know, just went in. And went I hope you don't go around walking in Walmart like you told me you once did. Oh, I used to do that. I don't, I don't want to hear that anymore. It was the only place it was open that you could walk in. But now they close at 11 o'clock, so I got to walk in my house. <laughs> it's, it's about 25 yards from one end to the other end. So, 
Whatever works, but right? I've, but I've never, whatever, never, never been, rocks your boat. Never been much of a sleeper, but I wish they could sleep like a lot you of You must have been terrible as a head coach when you coached at Southern Illinois. Did you ever go to sleep? Not rarely ever. You know, it's just it's the way my body is. Uh, when I was an undergraduate, I was working 30 miles away and uh, working from 11 to 7, 11 in, at night, unloading trains, mail on trains. And... Uh, just my body just have been conditioned. Were, not much sleep. You didn't ride the trains. You just unloaded the uh, unloaded the mail. The mail. We had the Pennsylvania Railroad, that, New York yeah. Central. Did that eight hours a day for three years at night. And I thought Nick had a lot of odd jobs. <laughs> so anyway, let me ask you this. I, I don't want to push a button. I, I know the relationship. Did Mike reach out to Jim Harbaugh at all? Uh, no. Not to my not to my knowledge, he didn't. Uh, he's a lot closer to John. And see, John worked for Mike in one year. John was a graduate assistant there. And actually, Lee, that was at Pittsburgh when Mike was head football coach at Pitt. And there were, I think, and we'll ask John there, but I remember there was at least three head coaches in the NFL. Mike McCarthy, John Fox, John Harbaugh were all GAs at Pitt when Mike was at Pitt. And they got their start. We also have another very special guest, somebody who has not been on this show a long, long time, and that's at the end of the show today. Who's that? Uh, we're going to have my brother, Mike. Uh, he's in Ohio at this particular time, and he's going to come on and talk about the Team Focus Banquet. And so Mike's a sleeper, so he doesn't get up. We couldn't get him on at 6.30. got to get him on at 10 till 9. <laughs> he's asleep during the family. Joe, how's his health? Uh, he's doing well. Um, you know, he's had cancer for four or five years now, and it's uh, and he's lost a lot of weight. But I'm telling you, he keeps going. He was in Charlotte, North Carolina for a couple of weeks. Now he's in the, the major city of Crestline, Ohio. And uh, then he'll be back here. Uh, I think he's coming in here next Monday. I'm so looking forward to having him on and really appreciate you getting John Harbaugh on. And also on our guest list today, we got Travis Ryer. He'll be talking about Alabama, and, you know, they're coming up. Uh, well, they had a scrimmage the other day, so we'll get into that. Uh, we also have uh, Jerry Palm. Jerry, of course, CBS Sports, college basketball, uh, college football. We'll, we'll, ta we'll tackle that. I've got Justin Ferguson to recap Auburn's A-Day game last Saturday. And Ronnie Cottrell is going to come on, and that's at your request today. And that has to do with football in this state in junior colleges. But again, we're going to hold off on that at 620. We'll get into that. I want to get into some headlines in baseball. Tampa Bay won their 10th in a row. That is the best opening day, well, I say opening the season with 10 straight wins since 1987. But their string of nine straight of four runs or better came to an end, but they did win one to nothing. So they've certainly been the surprise to open up at 10-0 and this season. Lee, who was the team that started out undefeated a number of years ago, like like the one today you're talking about, St. Pete? I know who it is, but I can't say it because it's going to be a Chick-fil-A question oh, okay. at 7.50. I won't, I won't give the I can answer tell you. then. All right. So that's going to be. I was going to trivia you on that. No, I, I'm, I'm, that's going to come up at, uh, at 7.50, the giveaway. Uh, Ranger left-handed pitcher Andrew Haney tied an American League record by striking out nine straight Kansas City Royals yesterday. The uh, record is 10, held by a few National Leaguers. 
Uh, South Carolina women's basketball star Aliyah Boston, first pick of the WNBA draft last night, selected by the Indiana Fever. And let's get to the NBA. So Rudy Gobert has to suspended for tonight's game. How much of a difference does that make playing the Lakers? Uh, you know, it's just like Atlanta a few a few games ago that they played. Somebody had – and uh, all new guys played because some of the other guys were hurt to start or so. You never know. They, they lose Rudy, but somebody else might step in. They're all NBA players, even, you know, 1 through 13. But – I watched that over and over. It really didn't look like he hit him. I mean, it was close, but you know, but they didn't show the do it in a you know slow motion. Nick, does that make a difference tonight? Do the Lakers win this game because Gobert is sitting out? Yeah, the Lakers are definitely going to win, but not because Gobert is sitting out. It's because Jalen McDaniels broke his hand by punching the wall in that same game and. He's one of only six players to defend a leading score on the opposing team for over a thousand minutes this season. So now you're missing your two best defenders in Gobert and McDaniels. I think the Lakers are going to win this one pretty easily. How about the Hawks in Miami? And there's a story coming out. Kevin O'Connor, I don't, I don't remember who he writes for, is reporting this morning that the Hawks' ownership has given the higher-ups, the, uh, let's say, the go-ahead, the green light, to trade anybody they want to improve the roster, and that includes Trey Young. Yeah, I saw that. The way that they phrased that article was so clickbaity. The Atlanta Hawks are not going to trade Trey Young. There's no way. Why would you trade your best player who can get 30 points, 10 assists, who's one of the best passers in the league and can shoot the three? That's just not happening. Uh, anyone else trade, sure, but you're not going to move Trey Young and get anything back in return that's going to be any better. Nick, of course, is our NBA podcaster. Yeah, not note. trying to be biased either as a Hawks fan. Of course not. Uh, who do you like, Joe? Give me two teams now as the postseason begins with the play-in, the two teams that you think will meet for the championship, East and West. You know, in the West, I, you've got to think it's going to be the Lakers' the way they're playing. Serious? Yeah, they won nine of the last 11 games. If LeBron can stay healthy and AD can sell health, if they, two of those guys can stay healthy, and they got a good supporting cast, you know, midterm, they, they get some new players. Uh, I would say them and Philadelphia really like the way, way Philadelphia's playing. And, you know, the Lakers have the best record in the league since the All-Star break, and that's without LeBron for most of so it. So who do you like to make it? He says Lakers, Philadelphia. Who do you like? Uh, I, I can't I can't go against Milwaukee. Uh, they've been so good all year, and that's without Chris Middleton. So in the East, I'm definitely leaning Milwaukee. In the West, it's more of a toss-up. I could see Denver. I could see Phoenix. I could see Golden State if they can get by Sacramento. But so I give think me right just now, one. I'll have to go with Phoenix. Just because, you know, you add Kevin Durant, and I don't think they've lost a game with nope, him yet. they haven't. I like Phoenix and Milwaukee. I do. Um, Denver, no. I, that, oh, that was some. Some always happens in the playoffs with them. I don't know, but I, I don't like them as a postseason team. By the way, with all the negativity at times, Nick. Nick blames us for being negative about the NBA because of load management and how I can't stand the fact that players sit out, especially because hey, they want to rest. at this time of the year. <laughs> how about that? And they get more sleep than you do. Jeez. 
So listen to this. This is for your podcast, big guy. All right, let's hear it. NBA has announced the league has established records for total attendance. Yes, sir. Average attendance, percentage of capacity, and sellouts. They report 791 sellouts, surpassing the previous figure of 760. Joe, when you went to the um, Pelicans, did they sell out? Lee, the night I was at the, we were at the Pelicans watching them play Cleveland, there weren't there weren't many empty seats in the building, and uh, and the Pelicans are playing really well, and they haven't had Zion for for actually really three quarters of the yeah, season. Yeah, what's the deal with him? And now you know I'm hearing now he's not going to be back for the postseason. My gosh, if he's in that lineup, that's a team that I really like. You have him out there with McCullum out there and Ingram. Herb Jones is playing well. The center, whose name I don't know how to pronounce, Valanciunas. He's pretty good. But why does it work? Can't they ever get him healthy? You know, they haven't been able to, Lee. And, and I've heard a lot of in, in interest in him being traded. You know, because if you look at the number of games he's played the last two years, you'd get something for him pretty – and you'd, you're gambling that he's not going to be able to play another year. You know, his body, the way he plays, and he, you know, does that – one of those guys that's so big and so strong – and when they go up and they come down, sometimes there's a knee injury or a calf injury or something. But it'll be interesting to see what they do in the offseason with Zion. We're going to take a break now. We're going to catch you up to date on traffic, on weather, and we'll give you a scoreboard on the Major League Baseball scores. What a comeback by the Braves last night. We'll get to that. Nick's in the house running the show. Joe Godfrey joining me. And when we come back, do you ever think we'll see football in Alabama junior colleges? That's our topic of discussion in about five or six minutes. This is WNSP April 11th time, 616 WNSP Sports Time and WNSP.com. This is Chris Samuels. You're listening to WNSP 105.5 Roll Tide. And God bless. And Sean Murphy, after the game, was doused not once but twice in the Gatorade bath, his first Braves home run. And he has taken over starting catching because Travis DeArnold has a concussion. And uh, the first pitch he saw, Joe, in the bottom of the 10th inning, I stayed up to watch the end of this game. And the announcers were saying, boy, it'd be nice if he hits a home run and we get this game over with. And that's exactly what he did. Dr. Christopher Mullenix and his team at Mobile Oral and Facial Surgery uh, are located at 715 Downtown or Boulevard. As most of you know, I've been to Dr. Mullenix many, many times for dental implants, but they also specialize in facial trauma, knocked out teeth, wisdom teeth, jaw surgery, and much, much more. You do not need a referral. You don't even need my recommendation. All I do is suggest you call them at 471-3381. I have a lot of trust in Dr. Christopher Mullenix from day one. Uh, the staff, very professional. 
and very personable, I might add, also. And what I really like about this, Joe, is when you go in there, very little waiting. You know, you've heard me talk about this. Well, you have your own room to go into. I do. You don't go into the regular room like everyone no, else. No, and, and I have my you own got a room. private door. The Lee Shervanian uh, dental chair. That's right. And they put my wife in there a couple of weeks ago because she had a dental implant. She came out of it very good. I've heard so many good things about Dr. Molinex. Big sports fan, yeah. big Jag supporter, Alabama. He really loves his sports. All right, we tease this segment. You, you're not, you're not a type of guy to sit around and do nothing. You don't even sleep. So now you're working on, and this is what I don't understand. You're working on trying to get football in the junior colleges in Alabama. Well, here, here's what, what's happened, Lee, with the portal. And I'm sure most people understand the portal. That's when a college athlete, wherever they're at, submits their name to the portal. And then coaches now are recruiting from the portal, getting an experienced player or, you know, somebody that's been at the, their level, and they're bypassing high school players. So if you look in the – take our area, in our region, the SEC, approximately eight to nine players per year – are assigned to the portal out of the SEC. So let's say 111, let's say 120 players. And if you take Southern Miss and you take Troy and you take South Alabama, that's approximately 32 players. So now you're getting in that 150 range, not counting the rest of the Sunbelt schools or Big Ten or, you know, schools that come in here. So the high school kids are getting bypassed. So junior college, Mississippi has 10 junior colleges. That played football. Georgia's got one big one, and Florida's adding one. But in Alabama, we don't have any. And years ago, uh, you know, Coach Bryant did not want junior college football. You know, recruiting against he he wanted to dominate the recruiting scene, which was you know good at that time. But now we're at a point where this would give our kids in the state of Alabama a chance if there's junior college football to play one year, two years, and they would be recruited out of that portal like, like they are in Mississippi. So we really need to do something with uh, – and that's, you know, Ronnie Cottrell and I have talked about that a number of times. So we're just looking at it and, you know, talking to different schools and et cetera like that. But I hope there's some way that junior college football will start up maybe four or five schools in the state of Alabama. Do you think it will? I really do. Lee, I think it – I'm not going to say it could be forced upon the junior colleges, but I think junior colleges are going to look at that. Now, there's different ways you can do it. You can do a scholarship program like they do in Mississippi, or you can do a non-scholarship program and, you know, go that direction. But at least give the kids that are graduating from high school an opportunity that they're being bypassed now. And and you look at the portal, for example, Lee. Uh, Florida Atlantic this year in basketball, you know, they had a couple of players that, you know, were at the Power Five level, and they went all the way to the Final Four. And you're going to find that more and more. In Final Four, we only had one Power Five school, Miami. So I remember uh, uh, Dixon, I can't remember his first name, coach at TCU, he made the statement that I will, I saw in the paper, he will never recruit high school kids because he can get a Porto kid that's played one or two years at another level. Division two, or you know, from the Power Five. So, I hope we can, you know. But there seems to be interest. I would just leave it like that, Lee. I saw where South Alabama's basketball team just got another transfer portal in the own conference. Kid from ULM, uh, Thomas Howell, six eight. I think he's the third 
that uh, Coach Ritchie's bringing in. So how are you going about trying to get this done? What are you doing? Well, you know, preparing kind of a portfolio to show, you know, the need for it and how to help fund it. But who do you go to? Well, you know, go to different, different uh, you know, we've talked to some of the schools in a junior college level, you know, just to gauge interest. But are they going to come back and say we don't have the money? Well, you have to put a program together, at least show them, and then you got to get the approval of the State Junior College Association. Uh, you can't just start it. It's got to be approved. So why don't you just start there instead of going individually to junior colleges, go right to the top? Well, first one to gauge interest. And the interest was there at the, you know, at the community college level. So then the next step is to go to Montgomery to the person that uh, uh, is head of the junior college programs. And, and we'll do that also. But I got a little 10-year-old. And, you know, I hope that, that we have the junior college football so sometime down the road that he would have an opportunity if he wouldn't be recruited at the high school level. So, you know, just By the way, that 10-year-old is not a grandchild. Isn't he a great-grandchild? He's a great-grandchild. Yeah, Love probably. South Alabama, though. So how many great-grandkids do you have now? Uh, Lee, we have five. And nine, grandkids? Nine grandkids and five great-grandkids. Boy, Mary must be up all day and night <laughs> buying presents. Birthdays, Easter. Keep track of all that? Yeah, I went to the little five, six, saw a little five-year-old great-grandchild the other day play T-ball. Do you go there as a spectator or do you actually get involved? No, I just go as a spectator. Just go show, that, show them that I'm interested in what they're doing. Coming up, scheduled to join us, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh, will be the guest speaker, Team Focus, May 16th. Looking forward to having John join us. And then at the end of the show, Joe's brother Mike, also scheduled to join us on this morning show. Thanks to Mr. Joe Godfrey. All right, we'll come right back. It is currently 6.30 WNSP Tuesday opening kickoff time. dug this out but uh it is football related correct and who better than to introduce the long tenured coach with the baltimore ravens joe godfrey's cousin and our guest speaker for the team focus fundraiser mr coach john harbaugh john welcome to the opening kickoff here in mobile alabama are you doing all right great to be with you man doing fantastic and so it's a pleasure to be with you and joe and, and talk sports John, really appreciate you being here today, and and even more so coming in uh, to do the evening. It's an evening with John Harbaugh at Mike's Team Focus. Uh, over 20 years, John, they've been putting it together with Boys Without Dads, and it's been so successful, and they've saved more kids. Uh, I've heard more stories from Mike at uh, these kids that have gone on and have been very, very successful. So we really, really do appreciate you coming in for that event. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's an honor to be a part of it. And I know that Mike has been running Team Focus, and you've been involved in that. The whole family has. And 
so many people that are close to all of us, you know, and what a difference it makes in people's lives. I mean, many people, I get calls all the time, Joe, from guys, guys like Keith Howard who's involved up here in Washington, D.C., people that say, hey, you know, this has changed my life. This has been a difference maker for me, what the God Seeds have done for me, what the people with Team Focus have done for my life. And, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like we talk about things like privilege and opportunity and things like that, and I feel very, very privileged to have had a dad in my life, you know, and a dad that I can still call and talk to. I feel like it made all the difference. And for the young people that don't have a chance to have that in their life, and there's way too many, Team Focus fills that void, right? And, creates that uh, connection that, uh, you know, young people need so badly. Well, it's uh, it's 20, you know, sometimes those organizations don't go along, but Mike's been, tw- I think it's 24th year. Hey, uh, John, how about this, or, or Lee? Uh, John went up, had with, got together with his family at Easter up, up in uh, Michigan. How about sitting at the dinner table? Jim Harbaugh won a Big Ten championship, played in the Super Bowl. John highly successful coach of the Ravens, won a Super Bowl. And Jack, their dad, also won a national championship at Western Kentucky. So you talk about, you know, skilled and very, very professional and very successful, three of them around the dinner table. Uh, That must have been a lot of fun. John, are you still competitive with your brother, Jim? Uh, Not yeah, I don't know. Not so much. We don't uh, We we always usually end up in a big fight, so we just decided that's probably foregone. You know, we haven't. We haven't been in a big fight for quite a while, so it's, uh, I try to keep it that way. But, no, nah, this, this is incredible. But, you know, Tom Crean, you know, he's married to our sister Joni. Tom Crean's one of the great basketball coaches in college basketball. So we've had uh, we've had just, a, just incredible, cool, neat chance to be around. We've been around it a whole lot. We grew up in, you know, with my dad and Mike and Joe were coaches. Jerry, our uncle, was a coach. Um, you know, we've got Uncle Uncle Jim is, is coach, coach. You know, he's in the Marines and his uh, you know, boxing and stuff. So we just, uh, I don't know, man. It's just like we've just been around great people our whole life, just like we were little kids. And it's, uh, it's a blessing. It's an unbelievable blessing. John, of course, will be the guest speaker at Team Focus uh, May 16th at the Mobile Convention Center. There'll be a silent auction. Dinner served at 6.30. We'll tell you about tickets. So you can call the Team Focus office, 635-1515. So I got to ask you a couple of questions here. Number one, how have you lasted, what, 15 years with one team in the NFL? Every year they change about seven coaches, seven or eight. That's amazing to me. Are you the are you the longest tenured coach at one team in the NFL these days? No, Mike Thomas got me by a year, and uh, Coach Belichick has a few years, so I'm third, you know, so uh, that's fine. I mean, Tom is so much younger than me. He's about nine years younger than me, so he's probably going to outlast me, but uh, – and Belichick, I mean, golly, Bill, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with him at the owners meetings on Phoenix this last week, and uh, he's still going strong as ever. So then there's Andy, he's been with a couple teams, and and, uh, and Pete Carroll, right, he's been with a couple teams now. So there's some guys who've been doing some amazing things for a long time. Well, uh, John, uh, Joe and I were debating who would ask you, because I'm sure you haven't been asked for at least five minutes about your quarterback. But I'm going to start off by asking you, the signing of Odell Beckham, which really took the uh, a lot of NFL fans by surprise because it was a story that he was going to visit the Jets. You got him. Uh, is it true? Or, or, you, know, you know how reports come out. You don't know what's right, what's wrong. Did Lamar Jackson help recruit Beckham to the Ravens? 
You know, I don't know the exact conversations. I haven't, uh, you know, I, didn't, I don't know the details. I know they, they talked. Uh, Odell told me that, that they were talking back and forth for quite a while. And those guys have known each other, I'm pretty sure, you know, over the years because they're, you know, two big stars in the league and everything. You know, they, those guys will tend to get to know each other and stuff. So I'm sure they had a lot of great conversations about it. I'm glad they did, you know. And I, I feel like, um, you know, we talked to Odell toward the end of last season through December. In November, we started talking to him. December, talked to him in January, and right on through here. So it's been a great relationship building time and him trying to figure out what direction he wanted to go. And, you know, I was trying to figure out how to make it work as much as anything else. And, you know, because there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts with the salary cap and the finances and all that. So the fact that it kind of came together and worked out, I'm really excited about it, you know. And I think it's, like I said, you know, you got you to be patient through all these, the business aspect of, of the NFL. And we're trying to, trying to do as hard, you know, do the best job we can and be patient and understand, like Ozzie Newsom always says, you know, you're not, you don't play games until September. So keep working right up until that point. Would I be correct? Uh, let's just say I'm assuming. I'm assuming based on the stuff I read. I'm down here at Mobile, so I don't have access. I'm not an insider. I'm not even an outsider. I'm so far out. But I'm assuming Lamar Jackson is going to be your quarterback based on some of the reports I've heard from you and the fact that you know he's a no, his own agent and he hasn't had any offers yet. So with if Jackson is indeed in the fall your quarterback and you got Beckham and now you have a new offensive coordinator who left Georgia and Todd Munkin, you want to talk about that and what that means to your offense? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing as a coach. That's what I'm excited about. We're, we're putting the offense together as we speak, you know, every single day, you know, putting the elements together, deciding what we're going to call things, how we're going to, how we're going to mesh it all together, how we're going to fit the guys we have. And all of that is definitely an ongoing process. So, we're doing it under the understanding that Lamar will be our quarterback, and um, Lamar, you know, I, you know, I, I think uh, I think he's going to really thrive in this offense that we're building right now. And the fact that we've been able to add Odell, I'm sure we'll add a wide receiver in the draft. We already added uh, Nelson Aguilar. We uh, we already have Rashad Bateman, who's about ready to take off as a rookie. We've got Devin Duvernay. We've got guys like James Prochet, and and there's other young guys in there too that we're excited about. So I think our receiving core, our, you know, our, our our tight end room. Our running backs are back healthy this year after the second year from two major knee injuries. So, uh, and we we signed our, our Justice Hill, our third back. So between you know J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and and uh, and uh, and Justice Hill, you know we have a great running back room. So you know obviously our tight end room speaks for itself. So I think we have a great offensive line as well. So our, our offense is going to be in great shape, and uh, you know we got to take it day by day. John, again, maybe you can clarify also. Okay, here we are, and, and 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 I read where Lamar, no matter what, is going to get thirty-two million dollars. Okay, or give or take, I don't know what the real figure is. You just you just read these reports, and I don't know how much of it is true or not. And yet he's only played what started eleven games over two years, and then every time you read a story, it's got a, a, a let's say a, an adjective or a verb in front of disgruntled, upset. How can you be upset about getting thirty-two million dollars and you haven't even played a full season? Yeah, you know, I think the business part of it is what it is. You know, that's that's part of pro sports. No matter what sport you're talking about, baseball, you read about it, basketball, you read about it, and those are sports without salary caps. So it's a different mathematical equation in those sports, and yet. These conversations are, are always had, and then you, hockey. I mean, it's all the same, and we'll probably start talking about more and more in college with the NHL now. You know, I think that's even more crazy than what we do. So there's 
there's no contracts. He's just guys getting paid. How's that work? I don't know, but I'm sure they'll figure it out eventually. But, you know, it's just, I guess you have to understand that that's how it goes, and that's going to be part of the conversation. You don't get frustrated with it. You don't get upset. You just understand that, you know, there is a business part of this whole thing, and, and guys are always going to try, you know, to do what they can, just like teams are going to try to do what they can, what they feel is best, and try to make it work. So, you know, we want Lamar back. I believe Lamar wants to be here. I do think it's a, a numbers deal, a numbers situation. I don't think anybody's mad at anybody. Nobody's upset with anybody. Nobody's disappointed with anybody. Nothing, nothing along those lines. So that's why I'm very optimistic. Hey, John, let's turn the clock back. 1987, you were on the staff with Mike. Mike was the head football coach at Pitt. And there were two, I believe there were two other future NFL head coaches in addition to you. Yeah, John Fox, right? Right. Um, was on that staff. Who else? Mike McCarthy, I believe, was on it. Mike came a year after I was there. Okay, yep. a year after, okay. Yep, yeah, but that's pretty That's pretty impressive. Mike had an amazing staff, Joe. We had some great coaches on there. You know, my dad was on that staff for a couple of years, too, and um, Sal Sinceri was on that staff. Mike Dickens and Tommy Liggins was on that staff. Uh, Bill Myers. You know who else was on that staff? The great. Sid Gilman, right? Remember That's that? right. Oh, yeah, I sure do. I remember meeting him. So Sid, Sid Gilman. To, to work with the passing game, he was known as the father of the modern passing attack. And he came, Mike brought him in in training camp to work with the passing game for a couple weeks. And he kind of, I was coaching the tight end and uh, as a graduate assistant, didn't know too much. You know, I was learning from great coaches. And then Sid just took me under his wing and said, all right, just do what I tell you to do. And uh, every single day he met with me and helped me you know, to, to be a better coach, him along with, like, Mike and Mike Dickens and, and Tommy Leggins and Bill and those guys. But Sid Gilman, he was he was on that coaching staff, a legendary, probably all-time greatest passing coach ever. And was, he, were you, was, your, was your dad with you at that particular time? Yeah, he was there. He was on defense with John Fox. Okay. They were working together with, with that staff it and then with Sal. It was interesting. Mike called me. Uh, Jack was looking for another head job, your dad. And Mike called me, said, Would Western Kentucky has an opening. Would you call Western Kentucky? Because they were in our league at that particular time, and Jimmy mm-hmm. Fikes was the AD. So I called Jimmy Fikes. I said, Jimmy, will you, where are you at in your search? He said, I, Joe, I'm down to two guys. I'm going to hire one of the two. I said, will you, do me a favor, just as a friend. It won't cost you anything. Jack's cost will be covered to travel. He said, I'll do it for you, but I'm only going to interview him for an hour. So Jack went into Western went into Western Kentucky, and overwhelmed Jimmy Fikes. He hired him right then. And wow! I did not know that part of the story. And five or six years yeah. later, he wins the national championship. And that was after the program was going to be disbanded. They were going remember? to disband it. And now you go and look at the Western Kentucky Stadium, that big press box up there. It says Jack, John or Jack and Jackie Harbaugh. How about that? <laughs> it's amazing. There's there's two names on that stadium that I'm I'm aware of. It's Jimmy Fikes and, and, and three, Jack and Jackie Harbaugh, you know, and that's good for them. I know Jimmy Fikes and my dad became the best of friends. They did. You know, over those years and through all everything they went through. And the other thing it was I remember about John uh Lee in my he played at Miami of Ohio, Mid American school. And there's statues around that stadium like John Pont, uh uh, Hayes, Woody or Hayes, Sharon Beckler, Earl we are Lee Bank, and uh, how about Earl Red Blake? 
And John Harbaugh's and John Harbaugh has a statue there now. John, you have a statue? I, I gotta laugh about it. I mean, you put those, those names up there, then they throw my statue in there. You know, it's kind of like. But now they got to put Sean McVay in there, you know, because he deserves it. He's a Miami grad. He won the Super Bowl, so I figure like, well, if McVay's in there, it's okay if I'm in there. But uh, so <laughs> we have fun with that back and forth. Could you ever have dreamed that, John, when you enrolled at Miami and you saw those statues? No, no, you never think of something like that. I mean, it's just. <laughs> It's a, it's, a so cool, it's a cool tradition. It's a great school, man. I just, you like, like, Mike was the head coach at Cincinnati, you know, so I can remember vividly, you know, Mike being, Mike and, you, you and Mike and my dad are first cousins. So Mike, I guess, was a cousin once removed or something like that. And, and so I'd known Mike and you my whole life, uh, you know, admired you guys. And I was in awe of Mike as well. And that was a big rivalry game. So I can remember going out there and playing a little bit in that game when I played, not too often, but when I was out there and then seeing Mike over there going against us and, and you know, trying to find a way to win the game and, the, and fighting for the bell because it's a great rivalry in college football, but it was kind of crazy then. My dad was coaching at Western Michigan. We played Western every year, so, man, I, I don't know. I had a lot of family on the other sidelines over the years there. Crazy deal. John, before I let you go, I got a couple of quick questions on the NFL. As the head coach, do you get much of a say on draft day with the team? Do, they, do you get recommendations on who you want? Sure, yeah, it's a team. It's a team process. I mean, we all kind of work together. We all watch the tape. We're in, we're in draft meetings this week. We're going to start here in just a few minutes. Uh, we'll start going over, continue on the defensive plays uh, today. But we go through every guy. We talk every guy out. We rank every player against every other player by position, and then across the board and. And just kind of, kind of becomes a group decision. And then on draft day, you know, um, Eric will be the final. He's our, Eric Picasso is our general manager. He'll be the guy that makes the final decision. Is Michael Pierce still with you, the uh, big lineman uh, from here in Mobile, and Daphne, actually? He is. He is. You know, we, we brought him out as a free agent back when, uh, about eight years ago, and he did so great for us. Signed a big contract with the Vikings. And now he's back with us again. He actually got hurt last year. He tore his... I think his bicep or his, I think it was his bicep he tore. And, but he'll be back full speed this year, man. He's a great, great guy. Just got uh, married and uh, going to start a family. Michael Pierce, one of the all-time greats from South Florida. No, he's absolutely a great guest on our show. I'm going to ask you one more time. We kind of alluded to this in the interview. Are you pretty confident Jackson will be your quarterback in game one? Yeah, I am. I'm confident. I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I can't speak for anybody on it. You know, it's not for my, me to say for sure. I mean, I don't know for sure what's going to happen. I can't see the future. But I'm I'm planning that as a coach. I, I love Lamar. I love uh, what he brings to us. And uh, I want him to be a quarterback. So that's where, that's where we're working towards that. And, and uh, that's where we're planning. Really appreciate you coming down here to Mobile May 16th. I hope Joe takes good care of you. You're going to take him <laughs> oh, out? Oh, we're going to take great care of you. Take him to the oh, night. Oh, my God. John, yeah, I'm planning on a big euchre match, Joe. We got to play some euchre at <laughs> yep. some point in time, man. We come from euchre <laughs> families, Lee. Uh, John, we're so proud for, of you. For, and uh, for, all the, for all the fans out there that don't know what euchre is, Joe, you're going to have to give them a tutorial on that. It's not a southern game, believe me. I've tried. We can't. <laughs> but John, thank you That's very great. much for coming. Today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe, and, and uh, love you. And Lee, thanks for having us on, man. I appreciate it. John, have a great meeting today. Good luck this coming season, and I hope uh, we continue to have you on yearly and you'll get that tenure. You'll be the most tenured coach in the NFL before we're done with you. How's that? That's great. One day at a time, Lee. One day at a time, right? Yep. <laughs> hey, do you know Joe's birthday's coming up soon? 
I, I did know that. I did know that. We're, we're going to keep stacking those birthdays in, in the family, for sure. <laughs> we do. Keep them coming, right, Joe? That's right. All right, we're going to say right. goodbye, Bye. and we'll see you May 16th. Thank you ever so much. Thanks, guys. See you then. Can John we? Harbaugh. By the way, uh, David Green is up next with the uh, Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm, but you have another announcement on Team Focus, but let's hold on to that, okay? Another guest coming in? Yeah, we can talk about that. Let's yes. do that. All right. Uh, really appreciate John Harbaugh spending time with us. He's pretty confident Lamar Jackson's going to be his quarterback. Now you got Odell Beckham. you got Todd Munkin calling the plays. So we'll come back, uh, talk with uh, David Green of the Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm in just a minute. I'm Bobby Humphrey, and when I'm in Mobile, I'm listening to WNSP FM 105.5. LA Law. Think of L.A. Law, I think of David Green and the Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm. David, thank you for waiting through our interview with John Harbaugh. I really appreciate you coming aboard. Good morning. How are you today? Hey, doing well. Watering the ferns this morning. <laughs> hey, be careful. Be careful. I saw where a Boston Celtic injured his hand while watering his flowers and had to miss the last two games, Jalen Brown. So I, I need you I need you at work today, okay? What uh, I, I understand April is National Distracted Driving Awareness Month. What's this about? Well, there's so many times that we see folks that are just simply distracted. You look at Airport Boulevard, you look at Highway 90, you look at uh, Highway 98, some of the other major roadways, and folks are just not paying attention to what they're doing. And so you know, that's a national push for folks to pay attention, number one, to what you're doing, to focus on driving. Don't focus on your, your passengers. Don't focus on your radio station, but unless it's WNSP before you get in the car. And do not focus on things in the car that are maybe not attached. You know, one of the things I was reading about is so many people just throw their things uh, in their car, and they're driving the slam on brakes, or they turn and something falls, or their coffee spills and all of a sudden they have an accident. So you really need to plan ahead, focus on what you're doing, um, pack your car accordingly so things are not just in disarray, and uh, be careful and pay attention to what you're doing because it makes a huge difference um, if you're out there and you need to stop quickly because of someone pulling in front of you or anything else, or perhaps you run in the back of someone. So focus on what you're doing. That's what we're telling folks today. Focus on driving. David Joe Gottfried, good morning. Good morning, my friend. Great one, to hear from you. One, really a good friend, Lee. Hey, uh, David, how about this now? My wife showed me a picture. We talk about driving. You know, we talk, when we go to L.A. to visit my son, there's eight lanes, and they're really crowded going. In China, I believe it was, there's 50 lanes going one way. 50. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. Jeez. That is amazing. How would you like to change lanes in that? <laughs> If you tell David, he may set up a, law, a satellite law firm over there to get some more cases. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you know, and that's the other thing. You know, I, I jokingly say to some of my law partners over uh, at, at our firm to stay in your lane. That's one, That's a great example, to stay in your lane. And so work, you know, there's a couple of meetings there, but, you know, stay in your lane, 
and really watch because I'll tell you what, that's that's amazing. I didn't know that they had that many lanes. That's a lot of yeah, show, show me the picture of, of it. I can't believe it. <laughs> David, how can our listeners, uh, any problems, legal issues, get in touch with you or Will or anybody else there? Yeah, it's very simple. Uh, you can come by 51 North Florida Street here in Midtown Mobile. You never need an appointment at Green and Phillips or the Forbes Building in downtown Birmingham. You can always stop in and see Ben Warren and Cody there and uh, stop in and, and have a, a, a Coke or a cup of coffee. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to ask them because you never have to pay anyone at Green and Phillips unless we collect money for you, which is a pretty good deal. Absolutely, David. Always a pleasure. Hey, I, gotta, I know we're running out of time. This morning I'm driving. It's raining, okay? So I'm in the, the left-hand lane. The light's green. There's a car in front of me, and you know I'm, I pay attention. I'm not distracted. The car is standing still, is not moving. I can't move into the other lane to pass it. I had to slam on the brakes, and the car wanted to make a right-hand turn but never had its blinker on. That's one of my pet peeves, when they don't have the blinker. Had I seen the blinker, I would have figured he was going to turn. I could have slowed down. Well, I slammed on the brakes, and obviously nothing happened, but... The blink, you know, that's why you have them, and these people don't use them. Well, that's right. You know, we have a lot of safety equipment on our vehicles that people just do not pay do not pay attention to. You know, seat belts number one, distracted driving, very very important. Use your blinkers and situational awareness. I know as a pilot, I think about situational awareness, but Josh, as driving a vehicle, situational awareness, knowing what's going on around you, and knowing where you are and where you're going, and plan ahead. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Well, as most of you know by now who are listening to WNSP on the morning show, Mark's on vacation. He'll be back Friday. And by the way, as I'm entertained by some stories from Mr. Joe Godfrey, which you'll hear periodically throughout this show, uh, we will be at UMS Wright for our championship drive uh, this coming Friday. And Mark will be back with us. Of course, Nick's here. We're going to talk some NBA later on. It's time to talk. Alabama sports with Travis Ryer, Bama Online 24-7. But before we get to Travis, Joe, you have another announcement on Team Folkness, which obviously involves Alabama. Uh, yes, Mike, uh, my brother, told me yesterday that Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator at Alabama, will also be a guest uh, along with uh, John Harbaugh, who is a featured speaker. And uh, Kevin will give some insight on Alabama football. So that should be good. That's on May 16th, Team Focus. All right, let's get to Travis Ryer now. Alabama had a scrimmage last Friday. Their A-Day game still about a week or two away. Travis, welcome to our show. Good morning. How are you today? I'm great. How are you guys? Wonderful. He mentioned Kevin Steele. What are you hearing about the coordinators at Alabama these days? Yeah, it's an entirely new situation for one of them. Not so much for Kevin Steele in terms of the the work environment dynamic and certainly where Nick Saban uh, stands and all of that. Kevin is very, very experienced in that regard. But uh, with Tommy Reese, uh, there's a quarterback situation to figure out as well. So 
and that dual role of coordinator and quarterbacks coach, he's obviously walking into a very important and busy situation. And well, as you might expect, following Friday's scrimmage, Nick wasn't going to give away a lot in terms of the quarterback play. He was very complimentary in the play of the offense in general, which uh, leads the fan base sometimes to revert to, well, what about the defense? If the offense is lighting it up early in spring, what does that say about a side of the ball that obviously has to replace a lot of experience from a year ago? And I think in some ways you kind of anticipated that because uh, with all of those experienced players moving on, uh, a lot of new faces trying to take over at some spots and not just any spots, but in incredibly important spots, kind of like the quarterback of the defense when you think about inside linebacker and the safety positions primarily. So, yeah, I think both of those coordinators are trying to settle in. It's almost, I think, for, for some of them, been more of like speed dating over this last month or so because you've got so many early enrollees you know, that joined the program in January. So you're not just looking to get young guys and newcomers up to speed. You're looking to see if they can help you on the 2D because that's kind of where we're at in the transfer portal era. Yeah, Travis, Joe Gottfried, um, I have a question for you on the portal. Uh, how many players did Alabama bring in on the portal? Um, as far as true portal guys, uh, just one or two. You know, C.J. Dupree uh, coming in from the University of Maryland as a tight end. Uh, that was an area where they're looking to obviously replace Cameron Latou. So uh, I think they feel really good about what he can bring to the offense. But, you know, to this point, it's been mostly – Freshman, and you know, got a couple of junior college standouts too, not transfer portal guys, but coming from the JC level, there's obviously uh, elevated expectations, I'd say, for Malik Benson at the wide receiver position, and then also Justin Jefferson uh, when you look at inside linebackers. So uh, I, I would say it's been minimal to this point, the transfer portal impact for this team. Uh, but then when again you include the junior college guys in that mix, they They've managed to stay older, and Trez Marshall's a part of that, too, at the inside linebacker position coming in from Georgia. So a couple of areas where they want to, quote-unquote, stay old, like tight end and inside linebacker, it, it looks like they've been able to at least partially address that. If Alabama opened up the season tomorrow, who, who in your opinion, do you think would be the quarterback? Well, based on what we've seen so far in the spring, I'd have to go with Jalen Miller. Uh, I think he's uh, the guy that's working up top there, I think they're both getting first-team reps, though, obviously. I think Ty Simpson's right there in that mix. But you know, just based on what we know today, uh, I would go Jalen Milrow. Now, there's still a lot that can play out. Uh, it's not just scrimmage work either, as you know, Joe. I mean, you've got one coming up Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium, then you're going to have a very, very anticipated A-Day game in a couple of Saturdays. So, uh, there will undoubtedly be a lot of overreaction to 8A, but that's uh, kind of what you do as a fan when you're talking about a position at a place where there's not many positions in sports that are as scrutinized as the quarterback position at Alabama is. So I think we kind of know what's coming here in the next couple of weeks. Travis Ryer from 24-7 BAM Online. So let's take a look at some of the other positions. Running back appears according to reports to be a strength. What do they what do they got going at wide receiver these days, Travis? 
Well, they bring back Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks, so a couple of guys that were trending in a positive direction down the stretch of the 2022 season. So you feel good about both those guys and being back for another year. They've got speed inside, uh, especially with Isaiah Bond going into his second year in the program. I think Kobe Prentice sort of fits that bill as well as an inside playmaker. But again, Benson is a guy that you continue to hear positive things about, and so you, know, you would think he would very much be in that mix as well. I think that's already been the case. So when you're thinking about a top four right now at wide receiver, those would probably be the four guys I would point to first. Offensive line looked like it's going to be a, a, a big asset this year because there was so many concerns about it last year. Well, I think it continues to be a heavy point of emphasis, no doubt about it, going into Eric Wolford's second year on the job as the offensive line coach. Uh, I, I think there's reason for optimism. You've got an experienced option or two, actually, at center with Seth McLaughlin and Darian Dalcourt back. Both those guys have played over a 1,000 snaps in their Alabama careers at center. So you've seen Dalcourt actually working at left guard with McLaughlin at center, trying to get that experience on the field together. But there's competition inside at the guard positions. Uh, I think Terrence Ferguson is a is a third-year player at this point who can push there. Uh, also at guard to go along with all court, Tyler Booker is back uh, at the other guard spot. So I think the interior looks to be in good shape. Uh, then it tackle, you know, some questions going into spring about whether or not J.C. Latham would flip over to left tackle. Would he stay at right tackle? But, you know, Elijah Pritchett is a second-year player that they obviously really like, and he's getting a lot of run with that first-team offense at left tackle. So, look, if you're able, if he's good enough to, to take over there at left tackle, uh, that's, I think, a good sign because you, you felt like J.C. Latham certainly could make that move if needed. Uh, and what we've seen from J.C. at right tackle is that, you know, he has a chance to be a very dominant player there as well. All right, this is kind of a uh, open-ended question. Update us on Alabama basketball. Three assistants leaving, at least five players declaring for the draft. And I see, have they scheduled a home-and-home with Creighton? A whole bunch of things going on there with Nate Oates' team. Yeah, some scheduling stuff. You know, Nate likes to keep that moving. Uh, I think it's smart. And, you know, Creighton, year in, year out, is one of those tough outs, it seems like, in the postseason. So, the old iron sharpens iron mindset when it comes to scheduling. I, I like that for Alabama because that's the type of opponent, you know, that can give them the most trouble when it comes to uh, postseason. It, it's not even so much, I think, the Gonzagas, uh, which may have a little more sizzle uh, when you talk about scheduling, but uh, toughness and, you know, just tough outs. Uh, I think Nate is, is going to look more into that maybe going into the future. And uh, that should be a fun one over the next couple of seasons. But, yeah, I think that from a roster perspective, from a coaching staff perspective, uh, this is about as much in the way of moving pieces as you can expect to see from a college basketball program in an offseason. I think it's overwhelmingly positive for the program and the, the image of the program because, uh, if you're a young coach out there or a rising coach out there and you see these guys moving on to head coaching jobs, well, you know, that makes positions on Nate Oates' staff, in my opinion, more coveted in the coaching community. And then, 
Also, similarly, from a roster perspective, if you see five guys going through the NBA draft process, a couple of which are expected to be first-round picks, uh, that's, that's, that's alluring, i got to think, to the future pros. And at the end of the day, your Nate Oates and what will become of his next staff, you know, those are the kind of guys that you're looking at. You know, Travis, we're really excited. Uh, my my son Mark and I were talking the other day. You know, it's Antoine Petaway. Uh, Mark recruited him, uh-huh. played at Alabama, and, and he got the Kennesaw State job. But really, really excited for him. Uh, he's so enthusiastic. He's aggressive, aggressive as a player. And if he does the same thing like he is at Alabama in recruiting, and I'm sure he's very, very knowledgeable. So we're excited. We're going to follow him closely. Why that? Uh, absolutely. I think anyone affiliated with Alabama past, present are, are going to be in that same boat, Coach. And, you know, Pat is synonymous with Alabama basketball, maybe more so than anyone else out there right now. Because when you think about, as you said, going back to his playing career, the shot he hit against Florida to win the right. regular season SEC title, and then uh, his place on that Elite Eight team uh, nearly 20 years ago now. Hard to believe it's been that long. But, he is, uh, from a coaching perspective, uh, part of a staff here recently that has won uh, two regular season SEC titles, two SEC tournament titles in the last three years. So, absolutely thrilled for Pat. Absolutely expect him to knock it out of the park. And like you and others, uh, very interested to see how that goes for him over there in the Atlanta area. Travis, uh, we'll let you go and look forward to having you back with us next Tuesday. Uh, They have a scrimmage coming up this week, and then, of course, the A-Day game in two weeks. Thank you ever so much. You have a great day. Thanks, guys. Travis Ryer from uh, BAM Online uh, 24-7. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, well, football at junior colleges in Alabama. And uh, Joe Godfrey did mention about Kevin Steele. Coming to Team Focus, and he also has a uh, entertaining question about youth sports. Uh, we'll hear from Joe in just a few minutes. We've got traffic and weather and a scoreboard next on WNSP and WNSP.com. Hi, everybody. Jennifer Hale here from the NFL on Fox. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP in Mobile. The opening kickoff continues on WNSP, and it's time to highlight the cars of the week with David McCrary at LCM Motor Cars in Theodore. David McCrary joining us on the opening kickoff. Good morning, David. How are you today? Morning, Lee. I'm good. Um, we got a we got a good inventory right now, at, like we always do. I always say, but with this cold spurt going, we're gonna have some warm weather next week. We got two convertibles, little Audi A3 convertible. We got a Camaro convertible, and one thing that we do every once in a while is we've got some um, heavy duty trucks. We got two 16 foot box trucks and a 20 foot flatbed with a Tommy lift. So we've got a little bit of something for everybody. Financing. What can you suggest on that? Financing, we can do first-time buyers. We can do people with perfect credit and get them a rate better than anybody else. Um, if you have bad credit, um, as little as $500 down, as little as $700 a month income, come see us. 
David, uh, I know some people out there, obviously, with the rising ga gas prices going fluctuating, uh, cars with uh, that get you good mileage out there? I've got a dozen small cars, little Chevy Cruises, Ford Fusions, that type of stuff. We've got a lot of good gas cars. Thank you so much for taking time to join us, David. We'll check in with you later in the week. All right, buddy. Have a good day, guys. David McCurry with LCM Motors in Tillman's Corner. Joe Godfrey sitting in for Mark Heim. Mark will be on vacation until Friday. Of course, Nick behind the glass. So, in these, you've been going to a lot of youth sports, obviously, with your grandkids, great grandkids. And you were telling me a story that I'll let you, I'll throw you the ball on this one. This was uh, at You know, these kids play, play as young as four and five. They have uniforms, et cetera, et cetera. And a good friend of mine said he went out and watched his grandson play the other day. And it was playing second base. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, he had to go to the bathroom. So he just pulled his pants down right there at second base, <laughs> did his bit. <laughs> you think anybody was sliding into that? <laughs> I don't know, but you know there was true the story. <laughs> you know the and the, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. At, at the I can't remember the team he played for. This was a couple years ago, and he became a, a TV commentator. He's, he's pretty funny. He got to first base, and for whatever reasons, was just adjusting his clothing and, and dropped his pants. I, it just one of those things happened, uh, and then of course regrouped and got them back on. But that was a, a very entertaining moment in baseball uh, years ago. So you're gonna. Uh, you, oh, I wanted to ask you, Nick. You may want to get involved in this because I know we've had this discussion. Old school, Lee Shervanian basketball, NBA, uh, a time when to get over a hundred points, it it took a while because of the. The, because of defense and holding and clutching and you know and now today the scores are skyrocketing you know well, some we, didn't have, we didn't have three point shots back when you're talking either. no yeah we, we did we did back in the uh yeah we did um it this is the 90s eight, and 80s when, when pat riley took over the knicks and everything i mean it was tough to get over 100 now you get up to 120 130 and and as dan patrick always points out if when you play the rockets if you don't have a guy scoring over 40 points something is wrong do you enjoy this brand of basketball these days you know i, I enjoy the skill level you know of the players that they have the ability to shoot the threes i'll tell you a good example of that too when lebron james came out of high school you know, in, in Akron, St. Vincent's. And first number of years that he was in the NBA, he could not shoot threes. But the guy worked, I'm sure he worked and worked to develop. And you can develop as a three-point shooter. And he's a good example that somebody that developed. I mean, he's got the range out there, geez, all the way beyond the line. And uh, But but I'm impressed with his skill level. When you see the John Morant for Memphis, the various things that he can do and the quickness and lateral movement with the ball. Uh, but what I miss a lot is we don't have post players anymore. I mean, if you have a big guy, he's got to be able to go outside and shoot the threes. You know, you look back on Chamberlain and, and Bill Russell and, you know, guys, Bill Walton and guys like that, Kareem, they were stationary post guys. They didn't go outside. Well, today, the way the game is played, you – I mean, you still recruit, try to recruit those guys, but th those guys, if they were coming up today, would be working on their three-point shots. Does Joel Embiid post a lot? I saw a game recently, but he was shooting threes. 
they, most all the NBA big guys do, Lee. They, they go outside. You have to because they want to keep that lane open because they're drive so often. And uh, so now it's a wide-open game. But you've got to be able to shoot some threes. You've got to be a threat if you're a post guy. Lakers just signed Tristan Thompson, bringing him out of retirement. Is that going to make a difference? No, not at all. Well, he's a skilled guy. He's got a back, you know, got a pretty good background. So, yeah, I could see that. They've uh, what the Lakers have really done. They've put, you know, they've put together a supporting cast. Hey, Nick, on the uh, playing game. So, what happens? Like, is this a, a single elimination now, or I, I, I don't, I'm not sure of the format. Uh, the seven and eight seeds, they're double elimination. So, for example, if Whoever loses in the game tonight, they're going to play the winner of the 9-10. So in, if you're 7-8, then you have a chance to you, you play at least two games then, right? Exactly. But 9-10? and 10, Yeah, one shot. All right. Appreciate that. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, is next, 7.30, WNSP Sports Time, April 11th. That catches you up to date on that. I was led to believe there's no rain today, but I had rain coming in this morning on Goddard Hill, so... Don't believe everything you read. Sports and of course March Madness. Oh, what a, what a, what a March Madness this was. Uh, to some, maybe one of the best. Maybe to some others who missed the Blue Blood programs. Maybe not as much, but uh, I certainly enjoyed the games. And uh, I know Jerry Bob from CBS Sports. I think did also. Jerry, welcome. Well, not all of them. He didn't enjoy the Purdue game. That's for sure. Jerry, good morning. How are you today? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Good. I, I didn't have a chance. I know you were on the road and you attended the games and all that. So I wanted to ask you, based on what happened this this March or leading into it, do you think the selection committee has to change the way they they seed or, or take a look at uh, I don't know different avenues? I'm not I'm not sure how they could do that. You know, I look at Connecticut and the fact that they win it yet they were a four seed or fifth, either fourth or fifth, yet in their own league, yeah, in their own league, they finished fourth. So I, I don't know where you would go with it, but you've, you have a pretty good insight to this. Would you make any suggestions to them next year? No, I mean, you can't, first of all, you can't overreact to one tournament. Secondly, you can't judge seeding based on the results of the tournament because the committee doesn't have that information when they're given team seats. You know, UConn was a four seed, uh, they were dominant to start the year, 14-0, right? We saw this level of UConn during the regular season, but we only saw it during the first third and the second and the last third. The middle third, they lost six out of eight, and that's why, you know, they ended up with eight losses total. Um, that's why they were a four seed. And it's funny, they were the 13th team overall, which is the top number four. The team right ahead of them in the S-curve was Xavier, uh, also from their league. Uh, and Xavier swept them in the regular season, and had they maybe split that series, those those seeds might have been reversed. But uh, you know that's, but that that was a team that had showed 
that level of play that we saw in the tournament at times during this season, but not enough for them to get a better seed than they got. Jerry, Joe Godfrey, uh, I have a question for you. Uh, sure. When I look at the Final Four, you know, with Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, UConn, and uh, Miami, the Blue Bloods, a Power Five, only one Power Five was in that Final Four. Then I look at the NIT, where we used to play in New York, and now it's played in Las Vegas. There were, there were no Power Five teams in the NIT. And this is all created by the portal, where the portal has changed that. Do you think at some point in time the Power Five will try to form, you know, become a, with the football and the basketball? They can't get a hold of that contract because it's you know owned by the uh, NCA for I think through 32. But do you think that has a that appearance this year has an effect with the Power Five schools? No, because once again, that would be overreacting to one tournament. But also in basketball, we actually have six power conferences. The Big East is a power conference in well, basketball. They don't play football. No, I understand that. Uh, but it, I understand that. Um, so it's. You know, whatever happens with the the Power Five and and trying to get more oh autonomy, if you will, uh, is going to be football related uh, driven more than basketball. Uh, basketball doesn't really drive what they do. Um, it's uh, the football is is what drives the, the, the Power Five conferences because that's where the the big money really is well, in, the, in college sports. Well, be, you know, the NCAA tournament is over a billion dollar contract. It is. It is, but the the power conferences get a, a fraction, a very small fraction from the NCAA tournament versus what they get in football because of the television money in football is just so much bigger, and it's divided up. You know, each conference has its own contract. The NCAA tournament might be a billion-dollar tournament, but they're distributing money, not evenly, of course, but over 32 conferences and over a larger period of time, meaning you get – the, the distribution system is based on how a, a league performs over a number of years, not just one year. Um, so you don't get that much money from the NCAA for basketball relative to what you get for television money in your conference TV deal. No, I understand all that. But the portal is is just I like I look yeah. at. Oh, yeah, that's definitely yeah. changing things. There's no oh. question now. I mean, all of the teams in this tournament, all four of them, had transfers multiple uh, in their starting lineups. Uh, I think Miami was probably helped more than anybody else uh, by the transfer portal among the, this particular group of teams. But, um, you know, the transfer portal definitely is changing the way things happen. Uh, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to benefit the non-power conferences more than the system that we had before because players are going to want to go where they can win and get better NIL deals, and, and the bigger schools are going to have that kind of thing. Well, when you think of the money that, uh, you know, just I think one of the players I read played for Florida Atlantic, making four eight hundred thousand over a two-year period. Wow, that's pretty good money <laughs> and for for a, a school like that. It's, that's pretty good money, but you can bet that that's a, an enormous chunk of whatever they're able to pay their other kids in NIL money. Never thought I would ever see that. You know, for years I was been been involved no in kidding. NCAA schools, and you know, you couldn't buy them a hamburger, you couldn't take them a ride in yep. your car. Uh, I mean, and now, yep. and they and here even this year, Jim Harbaugh, they were at Michigan, they were still citing him for purchasing a hamburger. 
and we're talking so, about millions of dollars. I mean, actually, really, the thing that he got cited for was lying to the NCAA about okay. what whatever happened. That's the thing that got him in trouble. It wasn't really what he did so much. That would have been no more than a slap on the wrist, whatever it was he did. But lying to the NCAA investigators is what really got him in trouble. Yeah, but still, they, they shouldn't even listed the hamburger. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. But, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's silly. Jerry, I'm looking at this list of coaching changes in college basketball. I count 45, and that's maybe... Oh, I think it's even more. I think it's well they, into the 50s. Any of that oh, jump... we still have four open jobs. I think we still have four open jobs. Any that jump uh, out at you that is going to make a big difference next year with any teams, any, any mm. coaching moves that change that you feel is going to be a, a big improvement for a particular school? Uh, gosh, yeah, you know, there, there certainly are going to be some. Uh, you know, it's funny, when I think of the coaching changes, the one that jumps out to me is Chris Beard ending up at, at Ole Miss, um, and not necessarily because he's going to make them better, although I think he certainly can make them better. He's proven to be a pretty good coach. It's just that he got back into a power conference school so quickly. Um, I mean, not even out a year before he's, he's already back in a power conference school. Um yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's some of these coaching changes are going to be pretty interesting um, for sure, uh, but that's the one I think uh, gets the most attention for me, just because uh, you know he had he'd been arrested, fired, um, and all of a and just suddenly right back in into coaching at this level. Well, he got cleared on that. Let me ask you another question yeah, on that. Well, yes, his uh, fiance dropped. Uh, dropped her complaint. Uh, do you think so, yeah. uh, he has a lawsuit versus Texas? Well, the, I, the last I heard is he was going to try that. Um, I figured that. I don't think that's going to work, but I'm not a lawyer. So you know, don't take my word for that. But, yes, he is going to try a wrongful termination suit. I think that's already – I don't know that it's been filed, but certainly it's been talked about. You know, it's funny you mention that because that was the one I was thinking about. I, I th- As much as I like Kermit Davis – Everywhere Chris Beard has gone, he's been a proven winner. Um, I, yep. know, I know it's a tough conference and everything, but still. And in pretty short order, too. I mean, not that he took over a Texas program that was really ailing. Um, Texas's standards are, you know, a little bit different. And Shaka Smart was never really a good fit there. He's a good coach, but I think the fit at a university is really underrated when it comes to coaching searches. And, um, you know, Shaka found a job that was a better fit for him and Texas found a guy that was a better fit for them. Didn't work out. Uh, although the Rodney Terry has done a tremendous job, you know, with that team under trying circumstances this year. I think that's one of the more intriguing hires as well. I mean, he certainly earned the job uh, and he's been a head coach before. Um, so he's got, he got them through this really tumultuous season. Now can he continue to build this program and keep it at a high level of success. And they had a, a really good season this year. Hey, Jerry, how do you uh, give me some information what you think on Rick Patino? All 12 guys that were on the team are all gone. He kind of swooshed <laughs> them right out of the door. <laughs> he doesn't have any yeah. players yet. That's, that's one of the things about the transfer portal is that, you know, a new coach comes in and, you know, they can or the players can either way feel like they don't fit anymore. And, 
you know, they're gone. And they have somewhere to go, maybe. I mean, the transfer portal gives them opportunities. You know, there's going to be a lot more kids in the transfer portal than there will be spots for them to go to. Um, and I, I don't know how well that gets tracked. But 20%, I believe, of Division One basketball players have already entered the portal. And some, of course, have come back out. You know, uh, but 20% is an enormous number of players just looking to transfer. You know, what um, I, what, and I think this affects recruiting, too, because, you know, you're recruiting guys um, for a roster that you expect, and then, you know, transfer portal stuff happens, and you, some of these recruits might not even fit anymore. You know, what I'd like to see is some stats of those, that, or football or basketball, those that go in the portal that don't find a spot. I mean, right. what what percentages end up not no place to go because nobody yeah, took them. I, I would think that I mean some might end up transferring down out of Division One, um, and you know I guess that's fine too. But um, yeah, I would just I wonder who goes into the transfer portal and then their career is over because they have nowhere to go. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports. Jerry, uh, your favorite team, Purdue. Edie got Player of the Year, the John Wooden Award. Is he coming back to All Purdue? Yeah, um, good question. He doesn't know. And when he says he doesn't know, he legitimately doesn't know. Um, it's He's in an unusual circumstance because the NBA does not use guys like Zach Eady. I mean, he's a tremendous college player and had a dominant season, um, un, unlike a season that we have seen in quite some time in, in terms of what, how he was able to dominate college basketball. But you know, the NBA doesn't use seven-foot-four post guys anymore. They haven't for quite some time. So it's not a sure thing that going to the NBA is going to be, a, you know, a lucrative thing for him or even much of a career unless somebody gets creative and figures out how to use him. So he might be better off coming back to Purdue, and he likes it at Purdue. I mean, the, the team is really well-connected, tight group, um, it's, uh, he said after the season, you know, this is the best locker room I've ever been in. It, it would not be easy emotionally to leave. Um, but so there's a chance he'll come back, but he's going to go through the draft process, you know, the evaluation process. So that'll be most of May. So we're not going to have a clear answer from Zach until probably late May, at least until after he goes through the evaluation process. You know, Jerry, he could probably make a huge salaries overseas and play might be able to yeah he might certainly i don't i don't i'm not sure how much uh his style of play and certainly i would think it'd be more receptive in, in certain overseas areas uh, and he could certainly make a ton of money overseas if that's what he chooses to do um you know it's he's also got aspects of this game that he could work on one more year that might make him more attractive to the nba because he's you know like he's a good free throw shooter so could he develop a pick and pop aspect to his game uh, because you know he can shoot it's just that you know he doesn't that Purdue doesn't run that offense and he hasn't worked on it enough to put it into what they do so maybe if he spends the summer working on you know three-point area shots uh, and develops that part of his game all of a sudden now he's a first-round guy if he can shoot and defend at the three-point line Jerry we were talking earlier Lee and I when you look back at Bill Russell and Kareem and Walton and uh, the guys, yeah, guys, guys that like the him. NBA would have no use for anymore. Yeah. All uh, of those guys. If they were on the roster now, they'd be sitting on the bench. Yeah, they <laughs> might not even be on a roster. Um, yeah, I mean, that era, 
of the NBA is, is gone for now. Things are cyclical. It may come back sometime. But, you know, right now for a guy like Zach, the NBA isn't really a, a, an obvious home for him. There's no way he'd get picked in the first round. Um, somebody would take him in the second round probably and see what, you know, see what they can do with him. But, you know, he's, he's not a first-round NBA guy, unlike anybody else who wins this award as dominantly as he did this year. Jerry, I can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll check in with you soon. Have a great day, and appreciate you taking time to join us on the opening kickoff. All right, thank you. That's Jerry Palm with CBS Sports. I'm Lee Shervanian, and Joe Gottfried sitting in for Mark. Let me tell you about uh, Mobile Oral and Facial Surgery located at 715 Downtown or Boulevard. Dr. Christopher Mullenix and his team of Dr. Aaron Wallander and Dr. Michael Babston, three outstanding oral surgeons, no referral needed. Same-day appointments are available. You might want to give them a call at 471-3381. Joe, you, you're a little older than I am as you get ready to Just celebrate. A little. a little. As you get ready to celebrate. Have you ever had a dental implant? No. Never. I've had seven or eight. I lost count. Uh-huh. So if you ever do need one, I'll get you in there. And your you private go, door that you the go private in, you door don't have to wait and, 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 the, right? and the private dental with with okay. the nameplate, we'll the Lee Gervanian uh, dental chair. Ask for it, okay? I would do that. All right. So uh, they, Chris is Doctor Melanex has been just a outstanding oral surgeon, and and he's become a really good friend. I don't know if I ever told you the story that the first time I ever had this done. That's you remember Sportsplex. Oh yeah. Well, he worked out there too. That uh, we don't. That doesn't exist anymore for us, but I used to work out there all the time. So I, I had the dental implant, and he said, you know how doctors, they always say, don't do this, don't do that. So he told me, I don't want to see you at Sportsplex the next day. Just rest, okay? This was after my dental implant. And I woke up. I felt great. I said, why, why do I want to just sit around? So I went in there. I looked around. He wasn't there, and I worked out. You didn't take the advice of your doctor. Well, I didn't have any pain, which I talk about all the time. You know, and I had very, very little discomfort. That's because he does such a great job. So why why just sit home and do nothing? You don't. I'm not going to. That's anyway, we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we have a Chick-fil-A giveaway. So, Joe, maybe if you want to weigh in and maybe win yourself a Chick-fil-A gift card. Sounds good. 7.50 WNSP Sports Time. I'm Lee Shervaney and Joe Godfrey sitting in for Mark. Nick's on the uh, board. He's running the controls here and weighing in every now and then with uh, his expertise, especially when it comes to the NBA. We may talk about that when we come back on WNSP and WNSP.com. Laura Rutledge with ESPN. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Keep it right here for the best sports information in Mobile. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. Well, unbeknownst to me, the question I had, Joe Gottfried also had. Do you want to give the question? Since uh, you you had the same information I did about Tampa. 
Yeah, who prior to Tampa started off with a winning streak? I think Tampa's what? 12? Ten, ten in a row. Ten in a row. Yeah. And the last would, team. The last team to do that double-figure winning streak. Absolutely. So if you know the answer, the last time a team started the year at 10-0, and 0, give Nick a call at 694-1055. The record is 13. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll get to that later in the week. You had another interesting uh, trivia you want to pass along. How about this, Lee? You know, we have, an, we have five players from Mobile in uh, Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame. Three of them, Hank Aaron, Billy Williams, and Willie McCovey. No three players in any city in America, New York, L.A., wherever, hit as many home runs as the three of those guys. And how about this? They hit 1,702 home runs. That's a lot, 1,702. Guess when Mobile was founded? 1702. Is that unbelievable? They didn't hit 1705 home runs, or Mobile wasn't. They hit the same number of home runs in their hometown that when Mobile was founded, 1702. Cleon Jones gave that statistic to me one time, and I, I thought that really was unbelievable. Do you ever get a chance to talk or see Cleon Jones? Yeah, I do. Do you see him on occasion? And, uh, you know, Cleon does it and his wife, Angela, do such a great job, you know, rebuilding, you know, Pritchard in their home area where he grew up. He always gave back. And I remember the story when, you know, they won the World Series in 69. And he left, I think, before they did the parade in New York because he wanted to come home and celebrate with his friends. I'm telling you, I, I've been so impressed with him uh, as a person um, and, and what he's doing for a living. And I mean, helping other people, elderly people rebuild homes. Uh, I'm telling you, he's he and Angela will go to heaven. They'll, they won't. There will be an elevator. There won't be any stops. They'll go straight. He um, he he authored a book, which I just finished, and a lot of it is devoted to build, rebuilding Africantown. Right. And that a lot of times I've wanted to get him on, but he's up so early like you are, and he's out already doing work. He's working on the roof. Yeah. You know, and he's in his 80s. Nails. Yeah, he's in his <laughs> 80s. Think about that. He's uh, been very busy with that. Had a really, really good career. I think every now and then he does go back to New York uh, to be celebrated, like you know the, the 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 famous teams he was on. You know they bring him back for old timers and things like that. He's I think I saw he's the all time best left fielder in the history of the Mets, is what they're saying. And uh, you could still see that film clip when he caught that ball, fly ball in left field, last out of the '69 World Series, and, and arguably one of the greatest upsets. You know that was a great time to be a sports fan in New York. I was working in New York in and about that time, but then I got a, a job, a broadcasting job in New Jersey. But when you think about it, in 1969, the New York Jets were heavy underdogs, maybe one of the biggest upsets ever, and that was uh, the year they beat the Colts. I think it was like 16 or 17-point underdog, and Namath led the Jets. And then you had the uh, the Orioles, a heavy, heavy favorite to beat the lowly Mets. 
and the Mets won it in five games. I mean, it, it's incredible how that all happened and wrapped around that that one year that the Mets, who had been a perennial last-place team, emerged as the National League champs, beat the Braves in the NLCS, and then were clearly outmatched. I mean, when you think of a team with Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson, Boog Powell, Belanger, Blair, I mean, it just goes on and on. And that they and the and the Orioles won the first game of the World Series. They beat Tom Seaver, and then the Mets came back to win the next four. Everybody thought it'd be a four-game Orioles sweep. I'm gonna give you a trivia question. Mets won it in '69. Who won it in '68? Detroit. You knew that, huh? Yeah. They How'd beat you the know Cardinals that so quick. I I just remember that that was the year that I think. Mickey Lolich, didn't he win like three games? Do you remember when we went to um, Tampa for a Jags basketball game and you took me to the Tiger Fantasy Camp? Your brother was there and Mickey Lolich was... I remember Mickey Lolich. He was not the same Mickey Lolich that pitched in the World Series. But so much was played about uh, McLean, the 31-game winner, and he didn't have a good World Series, but Lolich did. Won three games, beat yeah, Gibson. I had a close friend uh, that played on that team. Gates Brown was a pinch hitter. Didn't play regularly, but he only came to bat when the game was on the line. And uh, so many stories about him in Detroit. One time that he was in the bullpen and he was eating hot dogs. And uh, all of a sudden, at fifth inning, uh, they called him to pinch hit. He had the two hot dogs, and so he stuck them in his shirt so he could, you know, get back. So he ran in from the outfield, and he was standing up there. And I remember him saying, "One time, I hope I don't get a hit." And he got a hit, and he went round first, and he had to slide into second, and he slid in head first with the hot dogs. With the hot dogs, and all of a sudden, the ketchup <laughs> spread out everywhere, and the umpire immediately called for the trainer to get out here. Something happened. And they, you know, Mayo Smith fined him a hundred bucks. That's all. <laughs> we'll go back all right. there. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, Mark's away till Friday. Joe Godfrey's sitting in. Joe's already had a story about a, a, a youngster in Little League who found a quick way to go to the bathroom. He, right at second base, he's playing second base, and all of a sudden he pulled his pants down and did his did a thing. Did his thing at second base, right? <laughs> and then you also had the story about Gates Brown sliding into second. Well, his hot dog was stuffed into Two his shirt. Two hot dogs stuffed in his shirt. And uh, he, he had to dive into second, and all of a sudden that ketchup spread everywhere. So they thought he was bleeding. <laughs> so he was bleeding. <laughs> Great stories. Uh, Nick's in the house. Uh, let's talk to uh, Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Observer because uh, Auburn just came off their uh, 8A game. And Justin's been with us several times talking about what's going on up there. Justin, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? 
I'm doing well. How are y'all? Good. So what were your observations? I know it was, the day was kind of crummy, huh, weather-wise and all that. Did, did you get, get much uh, take from what Hugh Freeze has done in his first spring? Yeah, I mean, you got you got a little bit of it. Um, I think it would have been better, you know, especially for the quarterback position and the, and the battle going on. If Auburn was going to be able to throw the ball, but with the wind and the rain being what they what it was, they didn't really throw the ball much on Saturday. But I did think you saw on during the A day game. I think you saw really kind of on the field what we've been hearing about for for you know the last few weeks is that Auburn's offensive line has taken a step forward. Uh, that line looked pretty good, especially. You know, creating lanes and and holes for the running backs to go through. Um, it was a big day for the running game. Uh, pretty much everybody who touched the ball for Auburn as a running back had a big play or two, um, and so that was a really good time. Had some freshmen step up and, and play some key roles, and, and you know, even had one start. Uh, and Connor Lou on the offensive line, Kay and Lee had a couple big plays. Uh, as well on defense, so um, you know it, it, it was quick. Uh, they tried to get out there, out of there pretty quickly, just because of the, the weather being so bad. Uh, but I did think you know we got to learn and, and see kind of on the field some of the stuff we'd been hearing about all spring long for this football team. So that was a, that was a very interesting way to to, to wrap up spring ball. Uh, Justin Joe Godfrey, here my question. I would like to ask, and a lot of people ask me this, and and I hear them communicating just or uh Hugh Freeze what mm-hmm. what have you noticed about Hugh Freeze and his coaching he's got a great background very very intelligent but your observation on Hugh Freeze yeah I think Hugh Freeze has done a really good job um you know this spring of, of really showing kind of what kind of coach he is and what that means for Auburn moving forward um you know Freeze has got a, is a guy who has a really good offensive background you know, wants to play fast, they're going to do, you know, spread offense and all that. Um, but Freeze kind of made it clear from, from the time he took the job that his key role for, for what Auburn needs right now is that he's got to be kind of the CEO of the team. He's got to be a really good recruiter um, because Auburn, uh, in terms of what they've come off of in the last two years with under Brian Harson, uh, didn't recruit as, nearly as well as they needed to to compete in the SEC. And also, I think just the team, the chemistry, and the culture just wasn't where it needed to be either. Um, so he has really put a, a huge emphasis here in the offseason about um, you know building that up and taking that responsibility on himself. A lot of recruiting uh, go on here in the offseason, and Auburn's been successful, um, you know, pretty decently for this for this new staff at, at getting guys in. And, and then secondly, I think he's just done a really good job of um, you know kind of kind of changing kind of the, the the landscape of what Auburn football looks like, and 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 you know being a motivator, um, you know trying to change the standard and, and kind of the culture of Auburn football, um, you know, and, and I think that's that's going to be key uh, and, and does a really good job, I think, of um, letting his coaches coach. You know, he, he, he is an offensive guy through and through, but he hires Philip Montgomery, uh, you know, who was a head coach at Tulsa and obviously a great offensive coordinator at Baylor um, to really run the show on offense. And so I think he's done a really good job of delegating um, to his assistants, but you're really setting the tone for kind of the big picture for Auburn and also just really, really going over time and recruiting because uh, Auburn's got a long way to go to try to catch up uh, on the recruiting trail from what we've seen the last couple of years. We've heard so much about the uh, bringing in offensive linemen. How did they look to you in this uh, spring game, this new offensive lineup? 
Yeah, I, I thought they did a really good job. The guard spots are still up for grabs. You know, Jeremiah Wright um, didn't participate very much just because he's had a he's had you know non-contact jersey and he's, they've kind of kept him uh, you know under wraps for most of the spring. Tate Johnson, another guy competing for a starting job, uh, didn't participate because um, he had an elbow injury that they're trying to take care of. But you have the three FBS transfers in Gunnar Britton at right tackle, Avery Jones at center, and Dylan Wade at left tackle. I mean, those guys have been first-teamers from the moment they've stepped on the campus, and they've done a really, really good job, I think, of, um, you know, kind of changing the expectation for this offensive line. I thought run blocking, they did a really good job of just kind of, you know, that first year, just, just creating lanes and creating holes. Uh, Connor Lou is a true freshman who is going to compete for a starting job right away. Um, even if he doesn't start, you know, I think he's going to be a pretty key guy in the 2 deep. Um, you've got a little bit more depth, too, uh, especially with guys like Xavier Miller and some others who have kind of stepped up here uh, this week. So, I mean, it's it's not a finished product by any means, and I'm very interested to see kind of who all shakes out of those guard spots and those battles uh, in the fall. But the transfers definitely made this team better, and I do think that offensive line just looked um, a lot more a lot more cohesive and a lot more uh, fluid in what they wanted to do on Saturday. And I think the proof was in the fact that Auburn was able to run the ball really well, um, you know, and, and create some lanes for those guys. So what do you think is going to happen with the quarterback position now? Yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's the, the, the transfer portal opens up uh, later, over the weekend. And, um, you know, Auburn's got a really big decision to make. I think Riley Ashford, did get better this spring. Uh, I think there's kind of some limitations on how much he was able to do because he was kind of battling on shoulder injuries still and, and, and he wasn't able to throw the ball as much. I think as you know, they would, really wanted to see. Um, and, you know, T.J. Finley said after the spring game that, you know, he, he would make a decision on his future once he kind of saw uh, what Auburn was planning on doing at the position and, and having that conversation with the coaching staff. Holden Garner. Um, I think he's is, is been a really good competitor, and I think he's still got a, a chance to, to really have a shot at the starting job just because of the way he threw the ball this spring. Um, but, you know, for Auburn, I think it's, you know, Hugh Freeze has said, you know, they're open to bringing in another quarterback, but they'll see. Uh, they, they feel like they, they don't 100% have to get a new quarterback. Um, you know, they, you know, Freeze said they feel like they can win some games with the guys that they have already. But they have been very open to it. It's just going to be a matter of who comes up in the portal. And, and you know, is there going to be a guy that they think is starter quality? Is there going to be a guy that they think uh, can fit their offense and, and compete right away in a short amount of time to try to be a starter? Um, if so, I think they'll go after him. Uh, and then also, I think if a guy like T.J. Finley or somebody else uh, goes into the portal, um, you know, you might be a little more open to take somebody just to, to help out your numbers and your depth. So um, it's fascinating. I would be surprised if Auburn went to the fall and there are no new quarterbacks or nothing's really changed at the position. Um, but, you know, the, that option is still out there just because um, we don't know 100% for sure um, just kind of what quality of quarterbacks are going to be coming up in the portal here in the second window. Is there a player who many people really, let's say, didn't know about, but that really emerged in this camp that uh, looks like he's going to be a standout for Auburn, somebody who maybe came out of nowhere, uh, somebody who hadn't been around the program much, who really excelled? Yeah, I think the, the, a couple of those transfers um, just, you know, 
you would expect transfers to kind of come in right away and contribute, but I think to the level that we've heard about, it has been a little different. Um, I think about Rivaldo Fairweather, the tight end from FIU, just a guy that's just been a constant fixture on the first team offense pretty much all spring long. Uh, he, he brings a different level of kind of explosiveness. It's speed to the tight end position. I think Auburn hasn't really had um, the last several years. You know, and he had a really good spring. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Austin Keys, uh, transfer from Ole Miss. This is a guy who uh, has played a decent amount of football uh, as an inside linebacker. He's got a really good shot to be your start middle linebacker next year. Um, and, you know, he's had a really good spring, just kind of really um, set the tone for, for a linebacker group that I think has taken a step forward. Uh, here this spring, so I, I think those two guys, you know, stand out to me kind of first and foremost the players that you know we weren't, really, you know, we knew that as transfers they would probably play, um, but just to the level they had is interesting. And I think of guys who were coming back, um, you know, from, from the team. I mentioned earlier, but Tate Johnson, this is a guy who started a little bit at center last year, got hurt, missed most of the season. Uh, he comes back and. He's he's you know competing as a first teamer at guard, and you know he freeze went above and beyond like talking about how much he thought Tay Johnson uh, has really been a leader for that offensive line room. Um, he's got some injuries he's, he's got to deal with, and I think they're trying to be very careful with him. Uh, but you know Tay Johnson was a guy that I don't know if I was necessarily expecting him to be right away. Just boom, this is going to be a dude who's going to have a really good chance to start. And he had even with the injury, I think he had a really good camp, and uh, he's going to be in the mix. Uh, when they when they open it back up in the fall. Hey, Justin, I really appreciate it. We'll check in with you soon as basketball is undergoing some changes with a coach leaving, player two coming in. How can our listeners uh, follow you on uh, Auburn Observer? Yeah, auburnobserver.com. Check it out. It's a newsletter that I do on Auburn football and men's basketball. We also do a couple of podcasts a week, uh, each week as well. If you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to sign up, go to AuburnObserver.com. It's six dollars a month, or you can pay sixty dollars to get the full year. And yeah, we pretty much have something every weekday at six a.m. Central Time on Auburn football or men's basketball, and we email it straight to your inbox so you can read or listen to it on your own time. All right, Justin, thank you ever so much. I'll be in touch. I appreciate you joining us. Still to come, Ronnie Cottrell at the bottom of the hour, uh, Mobile Christian talking about maybe football at junior colleges. Also, uh, Mike Gottfried will uh, join us at 8.50. Haven't heard from Mike for quite some time, and he's now up in Ohio, huh? They have a home up there on a lake, and uh, they spend... Does he fish? uh, Any fish? He doesn't fish at all, and uh, he doesn't swim. Now, his daughter, uh, Marcy, really loves, uh, you know, that area. It's very nice. It's about a mile outside of Crestline where we all grew up. Team Focus, we heard from John Harbaugh earlier this morning. And then you mentioned Kevin Steele is now coming in. Kevin Steele is also going to be one of the, you know, speakers talking about Alabama football. Nick Saban, uh, Lee, has been, I think it's 12 or 13 years, but he, they couldn't come together on a date this year. So Mike, you know, called John, and John didn't hesitate to say yes. That's great. All right, uh, we'll take a break. 817, we have uh, traffic, weather, and sports Hi, scoreboard. This is Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Hey, Nate Gorlux 
Horner's base hit. The difference in that 10-inning win for the Cubs yesterday, 3-2. Aiden Marks of Medicare Insurance Advisors have been in the Medicare business for more than 12 years. An independent agent, Aiden Marks works with multiple carriers. He has helped hundreds of individuals in Mobile and Baldwin counties, and he can help you. Uh, his office is conveniently located in Daphne on Highway 98. If you want to go see him, set up a remote meeting, or he can come to you. There's never a fee for his services. So if you have any questions about Medicare, you want to change your coverage, Aid Marks is the person to do it. Call him at 463-0031-463-0031. Joe, you've gone to a lot of NBA games over the years. I have also, but not lately. But, you know, in my youth, when I used to go to Nick games and everything, did you ever see a halftime show such as our own Nick Wiggins went to on Friday? Nick, you want to, uh, again, tell Joe what you saw at halftime of the Hawks game? Sure. Yeah, it was a professional Simon Says caller. That's what this guy's job is, to play Simon Says. Um, so... Look, and, and I mean, the way he rattles it off really quick, like an auctioneer, it, it's really entertaining. Um, it, it's the best halftime show I've ever seen. So, you, do you guys want to play like a game of Simon Says or something? Unfortunately, I don't think we have enough time today, but maybe later in the week we could All do right, it. Do you ever fine. see Simon Says at halftime? I, you know, I never have, and I, I heard Bob Rathburn talking about it. And, you know, it's Nick. And uh, it sounds very interesting, obviously. Uh, can you uh, – halftime shows, NBA games, never did anything for me. I Usually when I went, there was none. D is there anything when you've ever – oh, I'll tell you one that I really liked. South Alabama at halftime. Remember when they brought those guys on the trampoline? Oh, they, they were did, good. Do you ever see that, Nick? Oh, the, yeah, where they, like, do the dunks and yeah, stuff. They yeah, they were fantastic. They, they had them, too. I think they just came out, like, during a timeout or something. What was their name? Do you remember, Joe? I can't remember, Lee. I was trying to think when you mentioned that. Yeah, they, they had three guys would come in, and they did. They would throw the ball up, and they'd be on the trampoline right. dunking the ball and doing all those tricks. That's the best one I ever yeah, saw. Have the mascot run out and do a little flip or something and lob it up. Yeah, well, I, they, I don't know if the mascot, at least at the South games, and they, I've do they still bring that group back? or? Uh, Lee, I, don't, I haven't seen it lately. Yeah, when I went to... I've even been to a playoff game or two, but usually they just had a lot of loud music and everything, and the, and the cheerleaders would come out. I went to a Miami Heat uh, playoff game years ago. Uh, when we go to the Pelicans game over in New Orleans, Lee, and I'm sure it's every NBA place, but they have activities going on in timeouts, halftime. I mean, it's you're always watching, you're always in tune to what's going on. I mean, they're really professionally how they do that but they did, did you they guys hire see professional people did, did you guys see that uh kevin durant is the first player in nba history to finish with a 55 40 90 shooting splits on a season but with the new cba you have to have played at least 65 games to win an award or be all nba so Technically, even though Kevin Durant has had one of the best shooting seasons, the best shooting season in NBA history, he would not be awarded anything for that in the future. How, how does that make you guys feel? Wow. Hey, uh, Nick, I'd like to ask you the question on Kyrie Irving. All right. Do you think that's going to work with he and Doncic? I think it could if they 
didn't have a roster around them that completely sucked. Uh, I mean, it, those are two players who are elite scorers and can get you 30 points a night, probably shooting over 50%. But those two are not going to stop anyone or play defense on anyone. So to back that up, you got to surround them with some really elite 3 and D players. And right now, because of the trade they made, they had to give up their best 3 and D player to bring Kyrie in. So if they can keep Kyrie and just fill out a better roster around them that uh, complements both their play styles better. I think they could be a top four seed in the West. See, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think Kyrie Irving. If you just look at his history, other than in Cleveland when LeBron James was with him, I'm not sure the two of them can work together. That's just an opinion. Nick, on your question, uh, I hate it for Durant. I like the fact that the NBA is trying to work around load management, but in Durant's case, he was actually hurt. He wasn't sitting out for rest or, or anything like that. I hate it for him because I really like him. And like you, my prediction today would be Phoenix to go to the championship series if he stays healthy. And, and, and he hasn't really played that many games. But ever since he's out in the lineup, they haven't lost. All right. Ronnie Cottrell is next. And then Mike Gottfried. A little bit 3-2. Hey, by the way, Nick, did we get a winner on that Chick-fil-A about 45 minutes ago? Yes, Kevin was our winner. And the answer was? The, the Rays won 10 in a row. Oh, Milwaukee. You gave the question, right? That's right. You had it ready to go. Milwaukee All right. Brewers. We are uh, ready to go. Uh, football talk with uh, Ronnie Cotton. Now, Ronnie's supposed to come in here Thursday, but Joe wanted him booked today. I'll let you take over. Uh, Coach, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you, Coach? Uh, we're doing well. From a high school standpoint, high school football coach, you know, with the way the portal, what's happening with the portal, what's your thoughts on what we need now from the community colleges? Well, <clears throat> you know, we've talked about the portal, and the portal has created a, a different situation for high school players. The, the number of high school players that are actually signing is way down. And um, what, what I've encouraged, I have talked to every person I can talk to, uh, encouraging this, the Alabama community college system to have football. And, um, you know, I, when you look at schools like uh, Baldwin County, in Baldwin County, uh, Coastal Community College, when you look at Bishop State here in Mobile, and you look all over state, there, there's many programs. If they had football, it would benefit the, the students in this state, not to mention others. So I, I just hope, I hope one day we see junior college football here in our state like they have in Mississippi. Uh, you and I have studied this thing, and, and we've talked about it. Um, you know, the junior colleges have been there for students for a long time and helping, you know, them get a degree maybe when they couldn't go off to college. But they could also help the kids that don't have an opportunity to go play right now. Coach, uh, the portal, for the people that are, are listening, the portal last year 
it averaged in the SEC, they took an average of eight to nine players. So that's roughly, let's say, 120, counting some other, uh, you know, schools. And the South Alabama, Southern Miss, and Troy from the Sun Belt took 32. That means there's over 140 scholarships that were not given to high school kids, and especially in our immediate area. So there's a really a need for kids with the community colleges doing football. That would give them a chance. That would be their portal. Play one year, you're in the portal. Or take two years, you're more experienced. At least give our kids the same opportunities that other kids around surrounding states are doing. Yes, I agree. And, and plus, you know, so many kids, so many young men go to junior college and they play and they end up getting additional education, or they even may, in Mississippi, for example, a lot of those kids will play two years and then go to Bellhaven or go to an in-state institution and finish their degree. And isn't that what, what it's all about anyway? We're trying to help these kids get an education. And a lot of the young men in high school today are not going to get an opportunity because of the portal. Um, and you did mention the SEC, and you mentioned a couple of the schools in the Gulf South Conference, but there's, I'm assuming they're not Gulf South Conference USA. But the, the truth is there's a lot of colleges right now are signing as many as 75% portal players. And, uh, I mean, that's just a lot of kids that are being recycled, if you, if you will. They've already been in a college. And so they're taking the place of a lot of high school kids. I don't know. It's a concern. I just hope soon uh, maybe one of the state schools will do it because I think they'll be one of the top junior college programs in the, in the country if they do. Coach, you talked to uh, numerous colleagues of yours around not only our area but throughout the state, and uh, you asked them if we had community college football or wherever – how many players do you think that you ask them would want to do that? Well, I attended a meeting. I attended a meeting here in Mobile recently, and I asked several of the schools. One of the local high schools said at least eight to ten would go. He felt like from his high school, and I know from my own, I believe at least five of Mobile Christian. Some of the kids here would take that opportunity. Um, I don't know. I just think it's a. I think it's going to be a, a situation where where a junior college chooses to do it, and they're going to literally increase increase their enrollment. Coach, you were involved when they started football at South Alabama. You knew what it did for that institution. You can just can only imagine what it would do for a junior college here in the state. Right, and you know you like. For example, not only football, but you know the you eventually get down to a band, and the band brings so much excitement to a campus. And I, I saw what it did at South Alabama. You know, it helped out. Homecoming changed, parents' weekend changed. We used to have homecoming parents' weekend around baseball and basketball, but it, it wasn't the same. But now there's parades and football, and just and we live in the South. I mean, <laughs> we don't live in the East or you know, it's different parts of the country. We live in the South where football is so so important to communities. So I know, and Coach Cottrell has been really involved in this, uh, Lee, 
I mean, he's got that expertise, he's got the experience, he's well-respected. So, you know, when he talks, people listen. I mean, they're very interested. He's been there, been at both levels, at, you know, Florida State, Alabama, and high school. So he can look at it from both sides. Coach, I really well, do appreciate we've, we've, that. We've talked to college coaches. We've talked to high school coaches. You know, uh, Hugh Freeze at Auburn, several of the staff members at Alabama. Um, I mean, when you, when you talk to the top head coaches in the state, uh, Mark Thompson, Steve Mask, uh, all of the guys agree it's something that we need. Hopefully, uh, one day it'll happen because – you know, football is important in this state. I mean, we're, we're blessed to have outstanding programs at Alabama, at Auburn, at South, uh, even UAB. I, I know when UAB made the decision to start uh, their football program at the college, it was met with a lot of enthusiasm. Hopefully, uh, one of these junior colleges will get started and get it going because I think whoever starts first is going to have a huge opportunity uh, for sure. You know, Coach, I remember uh, Gene Bartow, when he was at UAB, he told me the community of Birmingham thought of UAB as a night school, and they changed football, changed completely. In Mobile, our community and area high schools thought of us as a uh, you know commuter school. And now that's all changed with the life on the, in the campus, the dormitories, and the fact when that marching band of 270 members, they start playing, I'm telling you, just uh, you get chills, you know, watching that. Because uh, I dreamt of football for a long time at South Alabama, and then when it became a reality, uh, you know, we got 125 players, outstanding coaching staff, Joe Erdman has done a terrific job, you know, with facilities. So everything's in place, and that same thing can happen at a community college built around football. So we'll, hopefully well, we'll hope keep working happens. at it. I hope it happens soon, Joe. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I had not mentioned today, but the band, there's so many, there's so many people involved in football, not, not to mention the fans, but – the band, the cheerleaders, and the students love it. I mean, you, you saw yourself what the student body, how it embraced the football program here at South and how they've done it at UAB and other places. It'll be good for the whole campus. So, um, you know, we've had a lot of success in Alabama in baseball and basketball in the junior college system. Hopefully, hopefully in the next you know, in a short time, we'll see some success in football, too. All right, Ronnie, let me ask you this. Uh, why is why don't we have it? I mean, Mississippi has it. That's a question I've raised. I don't know the answer. And what will it take to get it, football in uh, junior colleges? Well, you know, this is legend. This is legend, what I'm about to say. But in the 60s, I know there was discussion of having – junior college football, and I don't think at that time Coach Bryant and the coaches in in Alabama thought it would be a good thing. It would be competition to what the schools are. But I know there used to be, years ago, there used to be some legislation that they couldn't. But I do know now that that's not in place uh, and that it can be done. There are schools 
in our state that have looked into how to do it. And hopefully soon, you know, uh, hopefully soon we'll have one of the schools will go ahead and, and start the situation. But hopefully we could have a four to 16 conference here in our state. Um, but I think now because of the portal and because of the growth of the junior colleges, um, I think you're going to see some of the schools start the program now. The only junior college football that's ever been played in our state was at Manning Institute. Coach, we'll, we'll, we'll keep working at it. And uh, I do appreciate the fact that you're really enthused about it, very knowledgeable about it, and well-respected throughout the state. So we'll keep going along, and uh, hopefully we'll have uh, the junior college system. Uh, one of the schools will start it. But it has to be approved by the NCAA. I'm not the NCAA, but the National or the State Junior College Association. And we've been working with some of their board members. And uh, so we'll keep working at it and uh, knocking on the door, and hopefully it'll happen. Thank you all for your time. Ladies, good to hear from you, buddy. I'll see you Thursday. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Ronnie. So if yes, this everything gets if it ever gets off the floor, do you become like the commissioner? No, no, I just become a fan. Just a fan? Just a fan. I, I if like you this. wait a minute, wait. You if you're able to somehow, some way I mean if I'm able to, what does that mean? When you when you bring football to the community college, which has never been done, if you're able to get that done. You're just going to be a fan? You're not going to be involved? No, I, I'm just trying to be a help. Uh, got a little background in, you know, getting involved with football, starting football in South Alabama. So, And I see such a need for it. I, I got a great-grandson that's 10 years old. And, you know, hopefully that will be in place by the time he comes out of high school. You know, Joe, as I'm thinking about this, and, and Nick, you may want to weigh into, you know, the movie Air that's out now about – Oh, you're not aware of this? The the it's out, isn't it? Air, yeah. It, Affleck and and Damon about the uh, Michael Jordan uh, getting together with Nike and how and the the famous shoe Air Jordan. So I could see down the road if you ever brought football here. Oh, long after we're gone, maybe a, a movie about you bringing football <laughs> to uh, the junior colleges. Who do, who do you think yeah, would be a good actor to play, Lee Joe? And, uh, who could play you, Joe? Who would you like to play you? <laughs> <laughs> who do you think, Nick? Uh, who would be good? I'm trying to think of guys that uh, have been around the block that are good character actors. Nick's better at this than I am. I don't know a lot of the names. I mean, I think guys flash. Maybe like Ed Harris. Ooh, yeah. Ed Who's Harris. That? I didn't hear it. Ed Harris. I don't know. I can't answer that question. <laughs> but no, seriously, you know, that the movie is out. And, and you're very familiar with Sonny Vaccaro. I, I didn't know that movie is out. I'm going to go see that. Yeah, Sonny Vaccaro. You remember him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, shoe, the Shoemeister and how oh, yeah. he got together with Phil Knight. That Ben Affleck actually is put together and they wrote it put together a movie wow. on all that went in and 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 it's like what a five billion dollar industry now yeah. i think on and, air jordan and you know it's the best the most highly reviewed movie of the year so far so it's got a lot of great reviews ben affleck he stars as phil knight he also directed it um I, I haven't seen it yet, but I definitely want to. Who, Maybe who I'll go see Michael it this Jordan? week. I think Mark is planning on seeing it 
down Michael, at the beach. Who, who does play Michael Jordan? Uh, I heard that Michael Jordan actually isn't in the movie. Uh, they interviewed Ben Affleck, and Ben Affleck said that Michael Jordan is so big of a star that any actor that they got to play him, it would kind of take away. Why couldn't they get the actor, Michael Jordan? I think it's just like you just see like the back of his head at the yeah. end. Yeah, his, see his parents and stuff. Yeah, Vi- Violet Davis, right? Isn't that her name? Very, very good actress. She plays the mother, and she has a very big role in this. All right, we better take a break because we want to get to your brother. All right. Sounds good, Lee. All right. So it's 848 WNSP Sports Time. Uh, Do up next. Scheduled to join us, Mike Godfrey. My name is David Palmer, and I'm on WNFC 105.5. Go, Nick. We're okay. You want to introduce your next guest? Uh, our next guest is Mike Godfrey. Uh, Mike, are you there? Yeah, Joe. How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, Mike, what year is this for Team Focus when John Harbaugh will come in and speak at the banquet? I think it's the 22nd year we've uh, done this. And, uh, you know, um, it's been great. You know, Lee, Mike had a dream. You know, we lost our dad at a very young age. Mike was 11, and uh, he always had a dream to start a program with boys without dads. And uh, even when he was coaching, he just didn't have the time. But then when he got with ESPN, you know, he had some days that he could work on it. Now it's 24 years. Lee and I've had, I think, over 6,000 kids have gone through that program. And, and, they, and they have saved so many kids and have done, been very successful. Mike, I compliment you all the time, and I tell people that you had a dream and it came through. I appreciate it, Joe. It's been great for me and uh, Mickey and uh, all the directors in our organization. Uh, so, but, but we get more out of it. I I think because we see uh, young men come to us at ten years age, ten years of age, and and then stay when they get to be thirty and uh, stay involved. And we have an alumni program right now that Aaron Dias, uh, a graduate of Team Focus, has come up with him. He and Mario Butler, and so it's just every day. It's it's good really good mike i'm so glad to hear you on the air with us uh john harwell is the guest kevin Steele's coming in tickets can be purchased at the team focus office at 635-1515 let me ask you this what did you enjoy more coaching football or broadcasting it oh coaching without a doubt because you're a part of it uh in the in the TV industry, you know, you're, you, you know, uh, Lee Corso told me one time when I first took the job, 
He said, I'll meet you at 6 in the morning, and we'll walk, and I'll tell you everything you need to know about ESPN. I said, okay, good. I was feeling lost because football season, the grass and the smell of the grass, the smell of football, and uh, I was missing it before. And so I walked with Lee Corso. He said, first of all, anybody that gets fired that's a higher profile than you will get your job. He said, I said, okay, I got kind of rough, but I got it. And he said, second thing, it was always people are going to come out and tell you that you did a great job. They don't mean it. And uh, he, so and Lee was uh, was the first guy that uh, told me that. And um, but I I lasted for 19 years, 18, 19 years. Uh, so it was good a good job for me, and I appreciated the job. But I miss coaching. How about the uh, Lee Corso going into his 80s broadcasting? Oh, he, he's doing great. They want to keep him there. He's he's a historic figure in in college football because of the outfits and the mask and uh, all those things. He's he is really a good man. Hey, Mike, tell the story real quick of Lee Corso when he went ahead of Ohio State. Well, he was well, coaching. He was coaching in Indiana. Coaching Indiana, and uh, they had beaten Ohio State. 30 years, and he got ahead 7 to nothing in the first quarter, and he called a timeout, and he got his team, and they got a picture by the scoreboard, and the referee gave him a 15-yard penalty. He said, I'm going to penalize you. He said, hey, it's 50 years since we've been ahead of us, and we're going to honor it. And they lost by how many? I think Woody poured it on, <laughs> yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he got beat about 56 to 7, I believe it was. Your great, What was your greatest coaching win? At Kansas, didn't you beat Oklahoma? But at Pittsburgh, did you beat Notre Dame? Beat Notre Dame twice. We were 2-2 two and two against Notre Dame and 2-2 two and two against Penn State. And... You know, probably the best victory, you won't believe this, Lee, was when high school. When I, I was a high school coach, we, we, we were at Norwalk St. Paul, and we were going to play a team that very good at Edison High School the next year. And uh, they had a 40-game winning streak or something like that. And But I knew I would go see them every Saturday when we they played in the afternoon. And uh, I would watch them and then go coach the team. And so a year before this, I ordered some jerseys. And I didn't tell anybody. I just ordered some Beat Edison jerseys. And I really didn't know what I was doing because if we were lost, lost that game, it would have been a terrible embarrassment wearing those jerseys. So we went out to warm up, and uh, we came in and we changed jerseys the players didn't know and we beat them 34 to 7 I believe it was and uh, but it was a good win but I started to think about five years after that what if we'd have lost you know but I never considered losing to them 
Mike, I can't thank you enough. We've kind of run out of time. Uh, looking forward to you coming back to Mobile May 16th for Team Focus. What a fantastic job you've done with them and all the people that have volunteered to help you put together Team Focus. What was you said, 22 years ago, Joe? 22 years. Amazing. Well, 6,000 6, kids. Yeah. Mike, stay good health, okay? We miss Thanks, you. Lee. Thanks, Joe. Okay, Mike. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us as we've hit the 8.58 mark. Uh, Nick, great job behind the glass. All right, today, after us, it's the uh, Dan Patrick Show, though I'm not sure who's on it today. I know uh, they had a different group yesterday. Mike uh, Gottlieb was running the show. We do have uh, Southern Sports with uh, Chuck Oliver at 1. We have the final drive with Corey and, and Michael at 3. And then talking... Uh, spring football, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner from 5 to 6. So that's your uh, sports programming today on WNSP. Tomorrow I will be back with you with another special guest host, Chris Stewart. And the Alabama Radio Network will be among our guests. And, of course, we'll have some NBA playoff games to talk about also. So stay tuned for that. Lee Shervaney and Joe Gottfried saying goodbye this Tuesday. Enjoy your day and enjoy your sports programming. Music.